Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to bands and musicians about the other side of what they do. Stories that we don't usually hear about how they've managed to survive. 
I'm excited to welcome Steve Rawls from Belvedere and also this is a standoff to 101 part-time jobs. Belvedere formed in 1995. They had a break which Steve tells me all about and he's been the primary member all the way through that. I knew Steve would be a good chat, good for me personally. Growing up being into punk rock and ska punk, I remember the day when I found out that the basis of Streetline Manifesto was their tour booker. And I thought, that's me. That's a part of being in a band that I'm really, that I, that I connect with and that I'm interested in and, and I want to do more of and, and, be, and be involved in that. And that's exactly who Steve is. So thanks for listening to this. Thanks to Steve for coming on. Thanks, Chris Colshaw, for sorting this out. East London Signature Brew have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Sports Team, Hot Chip, just to name a few. If you want to buy one of their flagship beers and get it delivered to you directly right to your front door, you can go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, purchase an order, and use 101 Podcast at checkout, all capitals, for 10% off. All right. Here's Steve Rawls from Belvedere. Their new album, Hindsight in the Sixth Sense, is out now on Lockjaw Records here in the UK and in Europe. Go and give it a spin. My old band was touring a lot. And so between tours, uh, you know, we were getting so many kind of mad jobs. And, like, you know, I guess on reflection a few years afterwards, I sort of realised everyone has a different story. And I suppose when, when you're doing you, you know, when you're doing Belvedere, you must have, you know, some kind of internal monologue of structure there. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, for sure. I, I always find it fascinating just people being able to live with such, such uncertainty of traveling around so much. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. I definitely live a, quite a few different lives. It's, uh, you know, especially um, because the band has toured a lot. Um, you know, some years we were gone 200 plus shows, you know, we, we do 200 plus shows a year. Wow. And so you kind of get back and you're like, okay, now what, you know, you barely make rent money if you're lucky. And then you just kind of like jump into the pizza delivery job or, you know, mm. coffee shop or whatever. I feel like I've kind of done many well i want to i don't want to say most things but i i've done you know i've had a good 20 some jobs you know um over the years and you just kind of fall back into whoever will take you but um yeah and especially now with family and and a young son and stuff it's um it is a different you do you really do flip the coin you know you're out there playing and staying up late and you come home and it's up at 6 a.m. again and, you know, in bed by 10 and take care of your kid. <laughs> so, yeah. It is. I suppose it goes without saying that, you know, some tours are just naturally going to be better than others or, mm -hmm. you know, s some records are going to go down better than others. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you got, have you got like a process or, you know, how do you navigate go going through that? Um, you know, we've been, we've been lucky in terms of the records. They've, they've been relatively consistent um as far as like how they're received and we're, we're very lucky in that we have a really good fan base that's very dedicated and so we sort of know most places you know kind of what to expect and and you know sometimes you get those big festivals in front you know front of thousands of people or the support shows and sometimes you play in front of 100 people which is great you know um after 25 years i feel fortunate that we can tour to most places and and still um you know do that and so um 
Yeah, it, you know, for the last 10 years or so, it's been mostly part-time and we were going to kind of go for it here a little bit last year. Um, we were going to do about 100 shows in quite a few different places. So um, I was uh, I was looking forward to doing that. But, um, you know, with a new record out and it seems like lots of excitement, I'm, I'm probably even more excited now to to get out next year. I think it'll be even better. Totally. I think people have been able to, you know, sit down and get excited and have time do you know, to listen to it and, and like grow with the songs. Yeah, for sure. That's right. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of downtime for people and, and you know, not everybody, but you definitely can can take some time. And, and I'm glad that, um, you know, that people can take a listen to things. And yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to, to playing the new songs when we can. When you say, you know, like you're going like to make a go of it last year, it just made me think. And um, the, the, I wonder what comes first, you know, having to, you know, go for it or, or going for it, coming to you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, you know, in terms of our band, like we had, we had a shuffle in, in members. We had a few guys that had been around with the band since the nineties and they decided touring wasn't for them anymore. And, you know, at the same time, we weren't able to do a lot um, as much as I wanted to. And so, you know, I think it's for the best. And and so that's kind of where we were as I guess where I was, as and Casey was, uh, we wanted to play more shows and we were skipping a lot of towns. Like we used to go to the UK and play for two or three weeks, you know, we're, you know, the last 10 years or so we could only play London and maybe Manchester or something. So, you know, we do have plans to, to play, you know, at least 10 shows in the UK over a couple of tours, you know, next year. So I think that's where it just, you know, light lives changed, the bands changed. And, um, you know, I think that's why, you know, we, we just, we do want to go for it a little bit more. So everyone's pretty eager. It's funny, those, those sort of punk rock scenes in all those small towns, you can really feel them and they're, they're always going to turn up for Belvedere. You know, there's like, there, there's a certain group of bands that are like, you know, like you guys, where it is like, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. It, like, you know, and, and a lot of these places we haven't played for a long time and, so I guess we'll see <laughs> our, our fan base is now 10 years older in some of these places, but you know, I do talk to quite a few people that, that do make the travel, but I, you know, it's, it's hard like, cause everybody else is you know older and has kids and, and responsibilities. So they can't, you know, they can't take a train four hours to London or something, you know, it's, it, it you know, so I think it's, it's our responsibility if we want to go out and tour and play some of these places to play as many as we can, because, you know, I think the shows themselves will be good in these towns um, you know, where maybe you can only get a few people from those towns to come to the bigger centers. And that's not just in the UK, that's across the board. Like, you know, even in, in Canada, like lately we've just kind of done like Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, but we used to right. do 35 shows across Canada. We used wow. to go Sydney to Sydney, <laughs> Sydney on Vancouver Island to Sydney, Nova Scotia. And, you know, and, and they were grueling trips, you know, some of them are, well, I mean, from Toronto to Calgary is a good 38, 40 hours, right? So is that funny to look back on just being able to give yourself the time to do that? Well, I mean, of course you try to tour along the way, but you know, even Winnipeg to Thunder Bay is a good nine, 10 hours. So in, especially with a shoddy van, like we used to drive, you'd, you'd leave after the show and just start driving. Cause you know, if you broke down halfway through the trip, you might actually have time to get it fixed and make it to the next show. <laughs> I always think that like being a band in North America and Canada, you kind of have to, you know, take your, take it seriously enough because if you take your eye off, you know, you could, you know, if you have a breakdown and you have to spend a few thousand quid mm-hmm. or dollars, it's like yeah. that, that, that could be, that's a dent, isn't it? You know, you got to be, yeah. it, it, it seems to me like you have to be really smart and kind of know your game, know your shit. 
Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it probably would have been good to have a mechanic in the van, that's for sure. <laughs> we used to tour in really shitty vans all the time. We and, and we would put hundreds of thousands of miles on these things and and uh, especially when we toured, you know, Canada, they're they're big drives and not a lot of shows, unfortunately. But when you get to the States, of course, it's a little more like Europe and that, you know, you can play a show every couple hours. But um yeah, we've definitely been stranded out there in the boonies um, a few times. So, uh, you know, minus 20 in the middle of a snowstorm and we we sort of limp into, uh, you know, someplace in South Dakota and then have to cancel a few shows while they're rebuilding the engine, you know, for the next few days. So, <laughs> I mean, speaking of that, speaking of wishing, you know, that you, should, you had an engineer in the band. Yeah. You must have been you must have been the tour manager on quite a lot of those tours. And I wonder yeah. if those those kinds of skills lend themselves to you know, paid work when, you know, other paid work when you're at home? Well, I should have, you know, I should have gone to school for, for mechanics. That's for sure. Yeah. I was the tour driver and the unpaid driver and, um, yeah, the booking agent and everything else. So I still do a lot of the booking now, but I do it for other bands as well. So, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, my pizza delivery and business background, uh, I, I definitely could have used, uh, some mechanic education in there. So pizza delivery has been a, been a big one for you through the years. I did that for four years. I also ran coffee shops and I, I uh, did a bunch of sales in downtown Calgary for sort of uh, uh, electrical companies and, and such. And what else did I do? Yeah, I worked at a gas station, worked at a sport check, like a sporting store here. Um, and it's ironic because people look at a rock and roll band and think, you know, maybe there's there's not so much organization there. Like the iron, the, the, the truth of it must be that actually you're super organized. Uh, it's chaos. Organi- it's organized chaos. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes, isn't it? No one's going to, you know, if you're booking the tour, no one's going to. You know what I mean? Like you're, you, the buck stops with you. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like you have responsibility for it. I, I've always found that pretty interesting. Well, I mean, I think somebody always has to sort of take that lead role or the sort of the band leader and that, you know, whether it's the booking agent or being the manager or I ran a label for eight years and, and uh, now I run a booking agency now and it's, um, it's what I love to do. It's not, yeah. you know, booking, ba- booking shows is not fun for everybody, but it's something I, I actually genuinely like because I do like the connection between the promoters and the, and the bands. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it, it has kind of been my role, you know, for the whole duration of the, of the band. How long did it take you to, I mean, and, and was there like a, a turning point where you realized, yeah, I should just be a booker, you know, I, I shouldn't, um, do these you know the different different kind of jobs like working at coffee shop and working at thing i mean i suppose there's there's always going to be positives to every job you do right well i mean i'm 44 now and i just realized this two and a half years ago right that's funny (laughs) did that feel funny having that realization well up until up until then we'd had booking agents before or i'd just done a lot of the booking but i i didn't I didn't really, I guess maybe I wasn't honest with myself. You know, I think I kind of thought, oh, I hate booking, you know, but then after a while you start to realize, well, actually, you know, I know quite a few people and I'm lucky that I, that I seem to enjoy it. So then I just kind of embraced Mm -hmm. it. It kind of came to me then more than me looking for it. So, um, and now, yeah, now I've got a roster of 20 plus bands. I often wonder where, you know, when bands come back from tours and they, they, you always like, don't realize the work that you've done sometimes. And booking tours is a, is a prime example of doing that. You know, you're always making connections. You're always meeting new people. You're always presumably like sort of learning about the trade. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. And I've always been a re- I, like I love getting out into the crowd at shows and stuff. And so I think I've met so many people just from mingling, you know especially at festivals you know i don't usually sit in our room and wait to play it's usually like i go out there and i find out who's there and it's usually everybody it's bands and agents and and managers and all that stuff and and you know and it 
I like being a part of that. It's it's uh, it's been a fun experience so far, and and it, every day, especially in every country, because every country is so different, and everybody's got little little hot spots. And being from Canada, booking bands in the UK and Europe, you know, I'm learning all the time. I'm meeting new people. I'm not a an expert UK agent, but I do my best, and I try to learn, mm. you know, meet as many promoters in each town as as I can. You know, you got to play at the New Cross Inn. Oh, I love it there. I've played there a few times actually. It's uh. Yeah, every every town's a little different. Paul and New Cross have been really good. I, my other band, this is a standoff, played there. Belvedere, I think we've we've rebooked this show at least four times now, uh, <laughs> and I'm hoping that we can get back there again. But yeah, um, there is a mix of of sort of in-house bookers and people that are um, sort of contract out as as just sort of outside promoters, and um, and sometimes I deal directly with like the venue owners and stuff too. So um, every every uh, venue has its own little story to it. I find it yeah, I found it funny going to Australia and you know all the all the shows were being booked directly with the venue right and that kind of makes I mean I guess there's up and downsides to all of it but I was a bit like mind blown you know um, yeah it does it does seem a little little more uh direct there for sure and I actually I've never been to Australia we were talking about going there next year for the first time which is really silly because for as long as the band's been around but it's just never really been a good time or finding the right people but yeah i uh i would i would absolutely love to go there was it you know were you a teenager when, when you when you started belvedere i mean like do you remember those first few tours and do you mm-hmm. remember kind of how how seriously i guess you you took it within yourself yeah i was i was 18 so that was 1995 and we started doing we were a weekend warrior band because a lot of people were sort of going everybody was in college so you'd sort of you'd have this radius of three hours around our, our city. We'd sort of play different, different towns and we don't have a lot of towns around our city, but um, yeah, we'd sort of do a couple of shows, come back, a couple of shows, go, come back. And then, you know, you start going to Regina, that's eight hours there. You try to pick up a show on the way out there and back. And wow. before you knew it, the, the radius um, took us around the world. And, and I, I was as serious as I thought I knew how to be at 18, which I didn't know shit at 18. So um mm you know, other than like being nice to people and trying to learn as much as I could about mm. booking, it, it was just, you know, it's like anything, right? It's, it's your first steps into learning how to, how to do something um, professionally, I guess, if you can call it that. But, um, you know, every tour I learned a little bit more, I met a few more people, I refined how I booked shows. And, um, and here we are still trying to make a go of it. Do you, do you like, do you, even today, do you kind of feel uh, like this kind of, um, impetus kind of energy being from a from a town where you've only got a, sm- a few small towns around you yeah i mean i i can tell you that i don't know what it is but i at, at, even at my age and the amount of stuff we've done i don't feel jaded in what i do and i don't know if it's just me personally or just the fact that we're from calgary i mean calgary's got 1.3 million people so we're not a super small town but you know there's not a big industry here as far as like the music industry you usually have to go to vancouver or toronto or la or something like that but so we always felt like we had to go other places to make a go of it. And so there was just always this, just this kind of like, we always felt like we had to prove ourselves. And, and that was a good thing, you know, cause it really drove us. Nobody gave us a handout. We kind of had to grab everything. And then of yeah. course, you know, we had a lot of people along the way that got to know the band and the smaller labels and agents and stuff that tried to help us. But, you know, it was, it always felt like an uphill climb, but at the, at the same time, when people helped us, we appreciated it so much. And I still do now. So, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, if you live in LA and, you know, you're living down the street from, you know, you grew up with the label owner and they throw you everything and you're on a bus, you know, your first tour, maybe you don't appreciate things as much as the band that spent, you know, years playing basement shows in the U S. So it, it, 
primed me to feel like, you know, I was on top of the world every time we got to play in front of these big crowds and stuff. It was, I, I don't take it for granted. That's really cool. I just watched that GoGo's documentary and one mm. quote that sort of stood out at the end was, and you know, it's not directly relatable because what they were talking about was success rather yeah. than opportunities, I suppose, or handouts. But they were saying, you know, they, one of them said, it's, they, you know, they learned so much from the times where it wasn't just so easy. You know, when, it, when yeah. the times were easy, they didn't learn anything. No, I, I agree. And I think it makes you a better band too. I mean, when you feel like you've got a, you have no choice but to get better, then you get better or you quit. Right. And that's hard, isn't it? Growing's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But, you know, like I say, we've we've had some nice nice little little baby steps and breaks along the way that we okay. never we never just let them go by, you know? It was very rare. it's it's kind of a it's a sweet and sour too because I think that's why we burned out so much in in 04 when we kind of broke up there the first time mm. is because I took every tour that came around whether it was the smartest thing for our band or not because I always saw it as an opportunity to play for, for new people. Like I remember mm-hmm. we just, we had done a mad caddies tour across Canada. Then we've supported satanic surfers later that year. We came to Europe for the first time, but I remember we, we did a back to back satanic surfers and then we got a, offered a tour with the suicide machines and I was so pumped on it, but you know, we were out there for almost two and a half months, like all across Canada went from Philadelphia straight to San Diego, like 64 hours or something and then back up the West coast and across Canada again. And everybody like, didn't even like it at the end of it. Like we loved touring with those bands, but just, mm. just that sort of 50, 60 shows in a row. Um, mm. And all those crazy long drives, you know, I just, I don't know if that was the best thing for us back then, but um, yeah, we certainly took everything we, we could get. That's no question there. It must be so tough though, because, you know, say, say like that, you know, how it's, it, it seems like it's impossible to weigh up you know, from a kind of small business sense, do you do a fucking tour with the suicide machines or do you miss it because you know you need to recuperate and do you? Yeah, well, and, you know, at that time too, we were kind of in between drummers. So we we had one drummer for one tour and then we went to Philadelphia just outside and jammed with a with a, with a, a buddy of ours and we, for three days and then drove to San Diego and then tried to like, you know, be tight again as a band. It was just like... Wow. Yeah. But you know, you don't, you don't, I would never, and, and I'm so grateful that we did those tours because we got to see the suicide machines, you know, for three mm. straight weeks. And, um, but I don't know if we were on our game on that second tour as much as we probably were on the first tour, you know, but you know, we also made a lot of new fans and we weren't touring, we weren't getting on good support tours in the States. We were getting a lot in Canada, but we weren't really getting that shot in the States. And that was a big, that was a big help for us in the West coast. Cause we'd done a lot of East coast stuff with the warp tour, but we hadn't done a lot of, um, sort of bigger shows in LA and in San Francisco and stuff. And those were great shows. So, and those guys were awesome. And those were, those were fun shows. I mean, it makes me think that I guess they're always, you know, they're always kind of different scenes that, you know, you want to make new friends, you want to play to new people. And yeah. I guess there there's, there's like an, there's an emotional stress mm-hmm. in that, right? Cause you're always kind of looking to the next thing whilst trying to appreciate what you've got now. I mean, I, I you know, I can see the kind of the conflict of that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even personally within the band, you know, we weren't communicating as well as we should have. And especially when all you've got is just this agonizing drive every day. Nobody's talking to each other because you've been in a van with each other for months at a time. It's just Mm. kind of a recipe for disaster. So it's kind of no no wonder that we broke up there um, in 04, which is, you know, it's funny. We just toured with Rise Against, like our record Fast 40 to Tape was doing really well. We were getting good festivals and stuff. And we were Mm. kind of about to 
get some good stuff in Europe as well. We just done a big tour with the Mad Caddies over there and been on Gros Rock and all the stuff. And that's the time we, we kind of stopped. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. I think it just all kind of came together. And um, yeah, so you do, you know, I guess I can say this as being an older guy. Now you can kind of look back to it and go, you know, I can pick out some times when I probably should have tapped the brakes. Yeah. Looking back as, you know, on the same, you know, sort of note of reflection, I mean, can you can you see more objectively, you know, the state of your mental well-being or, or your general well-being of that time? Yeah, well, all I knew is I wanted to be in a band. I, I, I knew at that time I just wanted to see things. And, 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 and like I say, I was the one that was sort of proposing and taking these tours, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know. I definitely, I didn't know what the end point was, but I just knew that I just wanted to to play for more people and get more records out there. And, you know, you kind of build it up, right? It starts, you start to yeah. be a bit obsessive about it. So um, I have a different perspective now. You know, I think a, there's, a, there's a sweet spot there and 30 shows a year is not very good and 200 shows a year is not very good. So if you can find something around 100 <laughs> in the middle, I think for us, that feels somewhat part, you know, some somewhat full-time. But enough that, you know, being being away, you know, three months of the year is a lot different than seven or eight. Did you miss it between 2005 and when was it? 2011? Well, so I had This Is A Standoff, my other band that started when Belvedere broke up. And right. um, yeah. I saw we, your Groves uh, Rock in, in 2010. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. That was fun. We did that, that third stage, that Etni stage, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was incredible. Um yeah. And again, like, you know, this is a standoff was just supposed to be a fun little thing. We ended up going to Europe six times and we did some UK stuff and we went to South America and Japan and we put out three records. So that was cool. So I was actually able to find a really good sweet spot with that. We we did a lot of touring, especially in 2011. I remember because I, I put out an acoustic record. So I was gone a lot that year. And that was kind of my last really busy year. And I think I did 150 shows that year. Wow. And that was that was borderlining. It was exactly what I wanted to do at the time. But at the end of the year, I was like, man, I need a break. <laughs> and even, then Belvedere got back together again. So <laughs> yeah. even with this as a standoff and, you know, you mentioned he started it for, for fun, but you know, do you think there was this kind of unended note there for, you know, from Belvedere, you know, this, the story hasn't quite finished. Was, was there yeah. that kind of feeling within you? I think there was like, you know, Graham and I, um, uh, you know, we, we got together and we wanted to to do something new and, and still tour and play maybe not as much, but, uh, once, you know, I started talking to my friend, John, and we had some really good ideas together and what ultimately led to our first record. Um, yeah, it just felt, it felt good. And, and everybody was on board. There wasn't really a lot of uh, pushback. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, also a big thing with this as a standoff, was I was able to share some of the work with people. Like some people took some of the, John was an incredible mm. designer and is an incredible designer and did a lot yeah. of like the social media stuff and kind of took over the website. And it just felt like I had a real partner, you know, when we started. And, and, and to this day, I, there's never been like, there's never been anything bad with this as a standoff just because we're in different parts of the country and we all have our own kind of busy lives. Um, that's why we don't do really as much now, but I remember even when we got back together, we just did some reunion shows there a few summers ago, played punk rock holiday and Brack rock. And it was so fun. Like, hell yeah, just, it really felt like four friends in a band. Amazing. And yeah. that, you know, that, that sharing that workload, I mean, that especially, you know, mentioned social media and, you know, I do talk a lot about it on this show because, 
you know, it, it's such a job in a band now that wasn't yeah. there 10 years ago or maybe 12 years ago. That's really how it is for me with Belvedere now, like where Ryan has taken over a lot of the, you know, he does stuff on TikTok and we, we, he's always got great ideas about, you know, um, what to put up for, for social media and, and Casey's, you know, he records our records and he's, these guys are all doing, you know, play through drum videos and bass videos and guitar videos and everyone's just like on board with everything. So it just, um, it, it really feels like we're all moving in the same direction. I really dragged my feet with social media playing in bands. I really didn't want to be part of it. And then at some point it clicked and I thought, well, you can make it work for you. Do for you know sure. I mean? It for sure. And I think deep down, if I really am honest with myself, I'd like to throw my computer and my phone out the window. Um, mm. But yeah, at the same time, like you really, that's where all my connections are made. And that's what I cherish the most is the connection. Mm. Um, so yeah, you, I, I did pretty early on sort of, you know, with MySpace and stuff kind of, kind of got the hang of, of, uh, of the chit chat with people, um, even like MSN messenger and stuff. I mean, wow. that's how I helped you know, book our first Europe tour was with, um, a friend of mine that I had made buds with on MSN messenger Bjorn from a band called five days off in Belgium. And when we had these seven or what was it? Nine satanic surfers dates. He helped me put together a whole month of, of shows around it. And you know, I owe him a lot for that. That's so amazing. MSN to book at all that. That's genius. I remember, um, a friend's uncle introduced us to book your own fucking life. Yeah. That's what I I did back in the day. That's amazing. That's so funny. Have you got any funny stories from then about, you know, not having a sat nav and like going somewhere oh my different? God. <laughs> like the first five Belvedere tours, like there's, there's no, like I, I'm surprised we didn't break up every tour because, you know, there was always that, you know, okay, it's going to be four hours to this city in Germany. Okay. So let's leave five and a half hours early. Cause we're going to need a quick break. And then we're going to need an, a solid hour of driving to the middle of the city and going, where the fuck is this venue? Like, and it it was stressful. I remember the it was was it the first or the second? I think it was the second. This is a standoff tour. I want to say it's like oh six or oh seven. We got we got a sat nav and it was we were getting there on time. Like everybody was happy. It's <laughs> like this yeah. is the this was the problem. We didn't even realize we had this problem. But it was you know it was like not juggling phone books of directions. I just stuck this thing in on the the, the windshield and the way we went. It was amazing. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, you know, and, and I remember, um, you know, touring the UK for the first time and driving in the UK. Like I, I'd gone a few times before, but we had some friends drive us once we got to the UK, just just driving on the on the different side of the road. But the first time I went over, I just went by the sat nav and I actually pulled it off pretty good. I'm like, OK, this thing not only gets me to the place, but I actually can follow, you know, on the other side of the road um, and all the all the traffic circles and roundabouts and stuff. So, yeah, it was very helpful. You're talking about social media and, you know, it just makes me think that, you know, a band like Belvedere and this is a standoff and, you know, for that matter, any punk rock band where, you know, you feel like you can chat to or any alternative band that, you know, you can hang out with after the show. That's such a big part of that experience. Um, and, 
you know, once you realize that the people that you're speaking to online are actually real people, you know, and they're the, they're the yeah. person in Belgium that, that comes to your show and you have an amazing chat with. They're the people that, you know, that make this like a, a real human connection. When you think about that, it, it makes it really actually quite special. Yeah, it, it, I agree. And, you know, that's kind of been my thing too, is, is, you know, keeping in touch with people online, but then seeing them at the show. And, and we were always, you know, we're not a big, like, you know, especially in North America where they don't have places to sleep at the venues. We were not really a big hotel band. We were, we couldn't afford it and, and we'd rather stay at people's houses, you know? So we made that connection with a lot of people early on. And even to this day, we still do sometimes. And, um, you know, whether it's at the show and I always love getting out there, it's, it's, you know, as important to me as the music is the connection with people and, you know, shaking hands and, you know, mm. having chats with people about their experiences and stuff. I think, you know, for a band that's, that's in sort of the, the forties range and our audience is, you know, kind of in the 30, 40 range. Most, most of them, I think that's what brings people back is, is not just the music, but also that, that, you know, that it's not just the hour on stage. It's the hour after the, the show when we all get to catch up. And I feel like so many, so many of my friends are, are in Europe or outside of my own city that it's um, it's, it's very important for me to still do these tours for that reason. Say if you had like a month off between a tour, being at home and you know working those different jobs i mean was that was that a hard thing to do or was there a feeling that you know you're doing it for a good reason well i think like now now you you know it's more than that you want to be home for family and stuff i think before that you you know it was nice to come home and make a couple of bucks <laughs> so you could save up for that tour where you're going to ultimately break even or lose um uh but it does give you a nice little reset. I mean, it's some, you know, especially with as much as we did tour, it was sometimes nice to take, you know, a, a little bit off and, and just have a bit of a normal life, see your friends at home, see your family at home. Um, and you could deal with that kind of dichotomy. You could deal with that kind of. No, I, I agree. Yeah. It's not for everybody. And I know a lot of bands that are, you know, been doing this for a long time that are lifers. It's, it's a hard thing to shake. You know, you don't feel whole when you're on tour and you don't sometimes feel at home in a hole at home. So you need that balance of the two to sort of make you feel whole. So I'm, I'm one of those people where I need to, I need to be on the road. I need to travel. Um, and I need to be at home too. And I'm lucky that, you know, my wife is a little like that too. She likes to travel a lot. We like to bring our kids, you know, Mike, our kids watch Belvedere on the main stage on Gros Rock when he was like a year and a half old, <laughs> Amazing. you know? So yeah. we're lucky in that you know, and we hope that as things kind of calm down here in the world, that maybe um, we're able to bring him on other trips. You know, I'd like him to see Japan and I'd like him to come back to Europe and slowly, you know, like, all right, you're, you know, you're, you're almost six now. You should learn how to, how to, you know, roll a guitar chord and, you know, mom's going to show you how to sell t-shirts and like, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think it's a special thing and I'm very lucky to be able to do it. So I'd love to be able to pass it to him. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm good as far as like, uh, I need that balance and, and it seems as though my family does as well. Does it feel like with hindsight in the sixth sense that, you know, you're continuing to learn, you know, it, does that, is that like, a, has it given you like a, I mean, it must have given you like a boost over the last few months, having something to think about. But in terms of, the, you know, the way you, you the, the way that you see your life or your you know, career, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah, what well, for sure. I mean, first off, we were supposed to be doing a lot of touring this year. So I didn't know what I was going to do. And then thankfully, our drummer, Casey, said we should start bringing forward songs. So we did. And um, and it turned out really well. And it gave us gave us something to look forward to over that sort of six to nine months that we wrote it. 
And yeah. it felt like we had deadlines and a purpose and it just, it felt a little more normal, you know? And then of course, you know, the whole, um, you, you're trying to, you know, put out singles and you're working with the labels and you're trying to get the word out and stuff. It was, uh, it was really great, but, um, definitely, um, I had a lot to think about, you know, lyrically just being at home and seeing the, uh, you know, a lot of the, the issues in the world, which, you know, I've touched on the past, but I definitely dug into it a little bit more on this record. You know, there's always a Donald Trump. That's the thing. And and I think one of the, you know, I don't, I don't like really jumping on specific topics, but I like talking about sort of generalities about, you know, the wealth gap and the, the elite, you know, basically controlling everybody's lives in some way or another. And, you know, you sort of see how people are being polarized in, in the political spectrum and, that's good business for the people at the top. You know, as long as we're fighting each other, we're not realizing what a, what a short stick that a lot of people in this world are getting. And I think that's where a lot of the lyrics kind of came from was this, I was mad at first, you know, and not, I've always been pissed off about this stuff, but that's what I kind of, you know, put my focus on, but also tried to write it in a way that it was, that had purpose and had positive. Cause I don't want to just sit there and be mad all the time and write mad, angry music i want to have some kind of hope that if we all band together and and we stick together and watch each other's backs that you know maybe there is a glimmer of hope in the future absolutely and i i think that for, for me in the last year you kind of realized how how those big ideas you can actually see on a really local level whether it's your family or your neighbor you you start realizing that wow people are actually angry at each other and that's pretty scary yeah and i think you know this has really exposed how uh unprepared we are <laughs> to take yeah. care of to take care of pe people and people that need to be taken care of you know, like through a, a crisis like this and how you know where some some governments and officials have have succeeded a lot have failed and mm -hmm. um you know I don't know what can be learned from this, but I sure know that, you know, the punk scene that I'm involved in is, is a, an empathetic one and one that really gives a shit about each other. And um, that gives me a lot of hope. Absolutely. And we're ready, ready to learn and, and chat about it and yeah, um, not be afraid to talk about it. I, th I think, you know, I, you know, I've totally been afraid in the past to chat about something because I don't really know as much about it as, the person next to me does, you know, and I think that's like a big thing for politics that I've learned recently is that um, just always, always to always try and learn and, and you know, hope that the people around you have empathy and have empathy yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's a big one too. Like I, you know, I can paint myself on a certain part of the political spectrum, but ultimately I, I care about, you know, the world around me and, and the future that the world will be for my, for my kid. And also I care about my friends and every, you know, I want everybody to be okay. And I think that, I think that's where punk rock, the scene and the bands um, do well at, you know, I, I see, you know, when someone's got a problem online, I'm not just saying it's just punk rock, the punk rock scene, but it, it's really rewarding and it warms your heart to see, you know, somebody's got a problem and everybody jumps on it trying to help, you know, how can we help? We're all separated by this and this, different parts of the world, but how great is it that we can all kind of be together and try to band together and help each other out. And if you can just do one, that one little thing to try and help somebody out in a day, that's a good day. Well, Steve, thanks so much for, you know, being up for this chat and coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. And you oh, know, thank you. Belvedere has had a presence in my life since 
you know, I can remember getting into punk rock. So it's really cool for me. Oh, thank you for having me. And I really appreciate that, man. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it really, again, really, really makes me feel good to know that people have, have had us in their lives for as long as they have. Hell yeah. I mean, you know, just to end with, um, I mean, are there any things you've learned about yourself in the last year or two or couple of years going forward in terms of, in terms of the band, in terms of, you know, your role within the band and also, you know, like being a booking agent, have you had any kind of thoughts or reflections on that? Yeah, I have to, I think as I take on more things, I have to realize not to get so personally invested in the, the not everything has to be a crisis. My, my heart can't take it. Right. It's so <laughs> you know easy I mean? to catastrophize, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah. You, you know, I hate going to bed with the problem and I hate waking up with the problem. So sometimes the problem isn't quite as bad as you think it is. There's certainly a lot worse things going on in the world right now. And and maybe that's the perspective that I've gained in the last little while. And, and whether it's been this year or just getting older in general, but um, I feel thankful for the things that are good in, in, in my life. Maybe it's that obsession with things that's made you good at what you do. And, you know, that can also have those kinds of um, effects, right? Yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again, man. Yeah, thanks again. Have a great day. Appreciate it. So that was Steve Rawls, Belvedere's new album, Hindsight in the Sixth Sense. It's quite hard to say, isn't it? Sixth Sense is out now. Go and listen to it. Here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side Running around like a blue-ass fly I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate Every bleeding minute I've been on the go Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.